team here at Hall Center Church and a member of the preaching team. Thrilled to be with you today. We are starting a new series today in Ephesians. And if you were on the HCC community page, I told you there'd be some of these available. Um, the ESV study journal, you do not really need it today, so don't everybody run up and grab one right now. But there is a small stack of them in the back. Five bucks in the offering box back there takes care of it, or zero if you can't handle it. Um, if you're especially visiting us today and plan to join us um, through this study, just take one. We do not want your money. If you've been here a while, we want your money. Are we clear? <laughs> so we're clear. All right. Uh, we got some ground to cover today. I'm excited. David and I are going to tag team on Ephesians, and I hope you're ready to go on a journey. Ephesians, basically, and we're going to talk about this, is a summary of what God has done for us and how we should live as a result. Six chapters, 20-minute read, that's the basic message of the book. It was John Calvin's favorite letter. Armitage Robinson called it the crown of St. Paul's writings. William Barclay called it the queen of the epistles. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a friend of our guy, William Wordsworth, was the, said it was the divinest composition of man. John McKay was the former president of Princeton Theological Seminary in the late 1800s. He said, to this book I owe my life and described it as the crown and climax of Paul's theology. So there's a bunch of guys that are pretty excited about this book. And so, uh, and, and so we should be too. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's the last guy. I'll, he wrote a six-volume commentary on this six-chapter book. This is what he wrote in his introduction. He said, there is nothing more sublime in the whole range of Scripture than this epistle of the Ephesians. So get a copy of the ESV Journal. There's a link in the HCC community page for you to get your own if you can wait. It takes two days to get here from christianbook.com, and it's $3.99. And then read it. it. takes 20 minutes. Serious, it takes 20 minutes. Uh, the beautiful thing, I just want a quick commercial. The beautiful thing about these, and this is one of the things that changed my Bible study. What I did uh, was I printed out an entire book I was reading, and I circled and questioned and highlighted, and it made a big difference, because I don't want to do that in my little skinny page Bible, and it tears the pages up and all that, but you can do whatever you want in this thing. And so read it, and as you read, highlight the stuff that doesn't make complete sense to you, or the stuff that you have questions about, and then read again and realize whether they've gotten cleared up. All the while, praying, looking for God's guidance. That's my hope for you, that uh, Ephesians really helps in your Christian walk. And so today's sermon title is called Stories. And if you've got your Bibles, the two places we're going to spend our time are Acts 19. We're going to spend the most time there probably just in terms of words. 
and Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. We'll also spend a little bit of time in Revelation toward the end. But when you want to get to know someone, you want to know their story. Every single person in here has a story. When you want to get to know someone, you say, what's your story? If I were to say to you, what's your story? Well, like, I was born here and I did this and this, okay. And it really helps to know people's stories to get to know them. And so we want to know the story of the church at Ephesus, the church that Paul was writing to. And it's uber useful to know that before we dive into the letter. And so what I want us to see and what will guide us through our study in Ephesians is this quick point. The gospel story is your story. It's our story in Christ. And you're going to see how Paul develops this as we study together. But the gospel story, we spent the last few weeks, uh, Christmas, talking about the good news of Jesus. God became man coming to, her, to coming to earth. If you were here Christmas Eve, David shared about the baby Jesus came to solve the problems, not be part of them. And chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians describes the gospel, how all of history came to a climax when Jesus showed up ministered, died, and rose from the dead. And this is your story. And if you were here last week, we talked about how everything else pales in comparison to what Jesus did for you. Everything else. And when we live our lives like it's not the inexpressible gift that the Bible talks about, we are five centers. If you have no idea what a five center is, go back and watch last week's stream, not right now, later, and you can hear about a shopping trip to Smell Smell Clean. All right, those are the people that were here last week. All 10 of you. <laughs> and so first half of Ephesians, chapters one through three, is connected to the second half of the book, with a big therefore, and I just want to read it to you. It's not up on the screen. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Just listen to this. This is Paul saying, after detailing the gospel, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this is how Paul wants us described. If you went to Ephesians 4, great, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That is Paul's prayer for us. That is what he wants us to look like. That's what he wants our story to be. And so, boy, we're, we're going to be preaching through that. But chapters four through six, and that section I just read started it, talk about how the gospel affects every area of our lives of your life and of my life and of our lives together. As a church, as a people who call themselves followers of Jesus, it's our story. And lastly, in Christ. 29 times in these six chapters, you will hear Paul say, in Christ, in him, and so as you're reading, 
at home, maybe you want to highlight each of the time you see that and then look at it and see, wow, what's going on there? Why is Paul over and over and over and over and over and over and over again saying, in Christ, in him, what's going on there? Well, if you're married, your spouse might say things to you many times, right? Why? Because it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we forget. Those are the two reasons. It's important, and we forget. Speaking of being married, and 29 times, today is Lori's and my 29th wedding anniversary. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Wow. And literally 29 years ago, on this day, we were on this stage getting married by Pastor Ron, who I saw here somewhere, and Pastor Dave. And so um, if you want to congratulate my wife, the appropriate, um, the appropriate greeting is not happy anniversary, it's bless your heart, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. In him. Keep an eye out for it. It's mentioned multiple, multiple times because it's important and because we forget. It's important, and because we forget, and, and, and as we, we dig in, we'll see that that's true. So John Stott was one of my favorite commentators, and his commentary on Ephesians, and if you want to dive deep into Ephesians, I would recommend his Bible Speaks Today commentary highly. Here's what he says. He says, the letter focuses on what God did through the historical work of Jesus Christ and does through his spirit today in order to build his new society in the midst of the old. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back and I want to start by looking at the origins of the church at Ephesus. And it's in Acts 19. If you've got your Bibles, go to Acts 19. We are going to read um, the first 10 verses. They will be on the screen. If you don't have one, that's fine. Um, But if you've got one, it's good to have it right in front of you. And so we're going to look at origins in Acts 19. So Paul actually stops by Ephesus in Acts 18, but he can't stay. He's on a mission. He's got something to do. It's at the end of his second missionary journey, and he stops in there, says, hey, goes to the synagogue, and says, I got something to do, and he he had to leave. And he tells them, he's going to come back if the Lord wills, and it seems that the Lord did will it because he returned, and we have all the details in Acts 19. It's part of Paul's third missionary journey. Ephesus was a port city, so it was located on the west coast of what is today Turkey. And John and I have a friend who is from Turkey, and his uncle actually was part of doing the excavation of Ephesus. Um, long, there's some amazing beauty and history there, but it's kind of neat to have a connection like that. Ephesus was situated at the mouth of a great river uh, between a mountain range and the sea. It was also the capital of the Roman province of Asia. And because of its great position and location, it was a major port for, for commerce and for government, great big huge place. It was also a major hub for Greek and Roman religions, gods and goddesses. Uh, The biggest and most known temple you've probably heard if you've studied this at all, is the Temple of Artemis, the first temple to be made entirely of marble, just a bit larger than a football field. And in these temples, 
not just the temple of Artemis, there were temple prostitutes, thousands of them. And the way that you worshipped these gods and goddesses was to visit these prostitutes. That was how you worshipped. So if you are someone who's wringing your hands over the over-sexualization of the 21st century, I don't want to say that it's not bad, I just want you to hear it's not new. And if you want confirmation of that, start reading your Bible at Genesis 3, and you will see that what we struggle with today as a society is absolutely not new. And the Bible speaks into it directly, and through God's help, we're here to minister in that world. So this is where Paul visits, and let's take a look at verses 1 to 10. They'll be up here, and if you've got it in your Bibles, great. Verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Whoa, who knew disciples? Verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, uh, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Isn't that wild? Verse 3, then Paul goes, um, okay, you haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. Into, then, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. If you're familiar with your Gospels, you know that John preceded Christ, pointing to, uh, pointing to what Jesus was going to do. In verse 4, Paul says this. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 6 and verse 7, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Interesting number. But that's where Paul started. 12 folks, hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit, just knew about John the Baptist, wanted to follow God, probably heard about Jesus, and there we go. Verse 8, now this is where Paul starts his ministry. So we've got that situation with these 12, and then verse 8, and he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Verse 9, the synagogue was not a friendly place. So it's three months, it says. But when some became stubborn, and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, which you hear Christianity talked about in Acts many, many times. Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Wow. Wow. How about a church plant, ladies and gentlemen? you imagine the excitement, being those 12, and then seeing Paul go into the synagogue, and the synagogue went, you know what, no. And so they rented a lecture hall or something across the, across the way, and that's where Paul started the church, and there were Jews and there were Gentiles, and they came together and had to figure life out. But it says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Wow. Amazing. And so we've got a church that's growing, it's uh, in a crazy place, just would love to see the video. 
And then we have a couple additional accounts of what happened in Ephesus as we go through Acts 19. And I don't have the actual text up here, but for the first one we're going to see is Sons of Sceva. And that's in Acts 19, 11 to 20. And I just want to summarize this for you. And certainly, on when you're home, go check out Acts 19. It's just an amazing read. But there were um, itinerant Jewish exorcists. As part of Paul's ministry, he was casting out demons. Indeed, in these verses, it talks about people just touching Paul's robe and being healed. I mean, it was just absolutely nuts what the Holy Spirit was doing um, through Paul and through those people. But these itinerant Jewish exorcists, they saw what Paul was doing and they thought it was cool. And they went and found someone who was demonically possessed and said, and this is in these verses, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. That's how they were going to cast out demons. They said, I adjure you by the Jesus that Paul proclaims. And in verse 15, they come to this demon-possessed person Verse 15 of Acts 19, if you're there, it says, But the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? (laughs) And verse 16, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You ever been in a fight? I was in one fight at school, and you're not really sure who won because, you know, it's just, eh. I was in a lot of fights at home, and my brother won most of those. Um, so, but a lot of times, and you've also seen some boxing matches where they fight for like an hour, and no one really knows, and so the judges have to figure out, and one guy eventually wins. But I think it's universally accepted that if you go into a fight with pants on and you get in a fight and you leave battered bloody with no pants on running for your life, you lost. We agree? Because that's exactly what happens. These um, exorcists go in, (laughs) it says they ran off naked. Just imagine what that fight even looked like, but it's in... Ephesians, it's in Acts 19. I certainly challenge you to go chase it and see if I'm wrong at all, but I think, I think they lost. Uh, I think they got whooped. And after that account, we have an account of a riot in Acts 19, 21 through 41, the last verses of the chapter. There were craftsmen that made silver shrines of Artemis, and they made crazy money selling silver shrines of Artemis to people that came to visit the temple. And this guy, who maybe the major tradesman or whatever, verse 25, this guy, he says he gathered together the people that, with the workmen in similar trades and said this, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see here, see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Verse 27, and there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into dis- disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. 
go home and read the rest of Acts 19, it caused a massive uproar and it was brought to the courts and the courts are like, how is this our issue? It's just an interesting um, whole dialogue, check it out. And after that, Paul heads out, it talks about, okay? So this is Paul's story with the church at Ephesus. This is the story of Ephesus. If, if, if you were to go to someone and say, tell me, what's the story of your church? This is what they would share. This year, Paul came. He came and he found some folks that didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He baptized them. The Holy Spirit came on them. He spoke in tongues. And Paul went and met with the Jews. And the Jews kind of rejected him. So they moved somewhere. That's their story. And it's really important for you to understand that story when you read the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is, uh, you know, as we've talked about, just a beautiful book. But it's, it's Paul's letter to them. And so what we're going to look at today is a greeting. We're going to look at Paul's greeting to this church in Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. So Paul spent his time in Ephesus, as I said earlier, in his third missionary journey, which was between 52 and 57 A.D. This letter was written to the church in 62 A.D., so at least five years had passed since he'd been with them. And as we know, in a church, a lot can happen in five years. It's also important to note Paul is writing from prison. And if you have that context and you understand that Paul is writing this letter from prison and hardly ever mentions it, you're like, wow, he never says, man, you know what? The rats in here are terrible and the food is garbage. He just encourages this church. And so when you read Ephesians, make sure you read it with the understanding that Paul has a deep connection, a deep love for this church. And he's in prison with his own struggles, his own pain, and his own challenges. And yet, this is what he writes. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to, I'm going to leave it right up there for you to look at and, and, and just take these few pieces here and make sure you see what Paul's doing as he opens the letter. He first starts by emphasizing his authority. I'm an apostle. I have authority from God to instruct the church. Both the Christians that he knows at the church and those that he's never seen before and doesn't know. And so right off the gate, he claims some authority. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people that have accepted the free gift that God offers to trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And it's important to know what he says about them. And so on that second line, well, excuse me, third and fourth lines, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, I want you to see this. They're in Ephesus, and they're in Christ Jesus. We are in Hollis, and we're in Christ Jesus. Many of our spiritual troubles and struggles arise from the fact that we forget that we are citizens of two kingdoms. We tend to either pursue Christ and withdraw from the world or 
we tend to be, become preoccupied with the world and forget that we're in Christ. What a tough balance to achieve, but this is the battle that we're in. And Paul says, you're in Ephesus and you're in Christ. And so let's not forget that. And as Paul, in verse 2, he says, grace and peace. These are the key words of Ephesians. In chapter 6, verse 15, the good news is termed the gospel of peace. In chapter 2, verse 14, it is written that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. He is our peace. For first he made peace by his cross, in verse 15. And then he came and preached peace to Jews and Gentiles alike, in verse 17. So that's peace. And grace, on the other hand, indicates both why and how God has made us right with him and given us peace. For grace is his free and undeserved mercy. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so by that grace that we have, we are also able to have peace with others. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit more uh, when we celebrate communion later. Those of you that are online, note that we'll be doing that in a bit. If you need to get some, they're in the back. And so, John Stott says this. He says, so if we want a concise summary of the good news which the whole letter announces, we could not find a better one than the three monosyllables. This is how John Stott summarizes Ephesians. Peace through grace. Peace through grace. Definitely write that one down. Peace through grace. What's Ephesians about? Peace how? Through grace. Peace through grace. And so, hopefully you're getting a sense of the story of this church at Ephesus, at this major trade port. Tons and tons of people, tons of religions. Um, there's much to study there, and I challenge you to dig into it even further. Paul leaves. The church does its thing. And then John the Revelator is inspired. It's a vision from God. And if you're familiar with Revelation, one of the seven churches that Jesus refers to in Revelation is the church at Ephesus. And so we're gonna we've seen their story. And then we see them called out in Revelation, and we're going to take a look at that in a little section I've titled Lost Love. And if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Revelation 2, you can. Revelation 2.1 says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And, and, and I, I kind of love this, that we see... Um, we see their story, we see Paul, we see the place blow up, we see fights with guys uh, with demon-possessed and exorcists and running out of houses naked and all this kind of stuff, and just some amazing stuff. And then, and then we, we see something that we can relate to. We see a lost love. Verse 3 of Revelation 2 says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake 
and you have not grown weary. Wow. Nice. I mean, that's a church that I want to go to. I want to go to their website, make sure their statement of faith is solid, and then sign my kids up. That's, that's, that's verse 3. Good job. Kudos. Way to go. I, I, want, to, I want our church to be known that way. But verse 4. This is Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Mm. I don't have verse 5 up here, but it says, Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. And so it sounds like they had everything together doctrinally, but they'd abandoned their first love. Doctrinally pure and spiritually dead is not a win in God's eyes. It is rebuked in the Bible, not celebrated. So we need to be careful. Any knowledge of the word of God that doesn't result in closeness to God and being spiritually alive is not knowledge of the word of God. It's really easy to get caught up in the busyness of ministry. It sounds like the church at Ephesus was doing everything right. They had, they had their prayer meetings every Wednesday night, and they probably had church Sunday night too, and they had everything going. They may have even been serving their community and didn't even realize that their passion for the Lord had cooled. That happens to us. We find that we get motivated for other reasons than what Jesus has done for us, and we may think God doesn't mind as long as we are outwardly obeying. We may think it's fine because it looks good. But he does mind. It hurts him. And it violates the greatest commandment, Mark 12, 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in verse 5, Jesus says, go back and do the works you did at first. What was it that excited you when you first met Jesus? Go back there. Each of us has a story. Go back to the beginning. The love you had at first. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you know this. You know there was a day where everything was fresh and beautiful and you'd do anything and then you just slowly took advantage of it and slowly stopped acknowledging it. And that's why we're commanded to constantly be in the word, constantly loving others, to constantly be reminded of what Jesus did. So go back to the beginning, to the love you had at first, and maybe our study of Ephesians can challenge you to go back there. And so we're told in Scripture to regularly remember what Christ did so that our love does not grow cold, so that we don't abandon the love we had at first. Is it, is, am I the only person resounding with the Ephesians story? That excitement? but they abandoned their first love. We do it. So much gets in the way. Our world gets in the way. Relationships get in the way. Our jobs get in the way. Our families get in the way. And none of those should get in the way of our relationship 
with God. And so as we celebrate communion this morning, I want to just take, have us take a look at two different things. First, I want to look at the bread. We're going to celebrate. We're going to do this together. And I want you... What's the line in the song we just sang? A billion different failures disappear. There are no barriers from God if you are in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, and yeah, Romans 8.1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful verse that none of us believes. The reality is that God has never loved you more than he does right now, nor will he. He's never accepted you more than he does right now, and he never will, because you are in Christ. Barriers are gone, even if you think they're there. If there are barriers, they aren't his. They're yours. Go back to your first love. This is grace. We are completely, totally, unconditionally accepted by God because of what Jesus did for us. Amen? This is grace. And so when Paul says grace and peace, this is what he means. This is the message that set all of Asia on fire. That your acceptance with God is not about your behavior. It's not about what you wore to church. It's not about how you treated someone. Your acceptance from God is entirely based on what Jesus did. And so what Jesus said was, do this in remembrance of me. So what do we just do? We just follow the command of our Lord to remember what Jesus did for us and what it means. And this grace that we just celebrated with the, with the bread enables love. And I want to look at that in the cup. First John 4.19, and Caleb even quoted it earlier, we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19, if you don't have it memorized, write it on a really small sticky because that's all it needs. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. 
We love those people that are easy to love because he first loved us. That's the longer version. No. Verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, can't love God whom he hasn't seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is where the peace half comes from. He first loved us. And so we are to love our brothers. And when we are focused on loving those around us, we are promoting peace. We talked about it a few weeks ago. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't look like avoiding them. It looks like loving them. In Corinthians, Paul talks about faith, hope, and love. Faith, oh my word, isn't that amazing? Go read the first five chapters of Romans to just see Paul blow that up, how huge faith is. And hope, man, we live every day in hope. It's amazing. And, God says, and, and Paul says, great, the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Faith and hope, great. Love. The greatest of these is love. And this is where peace comes from. When Paul says grace and peace to you, hopefully you're understanding. Grace comes from what God has done for you. Peace comes from you acting that out. Here and in the world. Again, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. the singers and musicians want to go ahead and come up. The gospel story is your story. It's our story in Christ. And this is a story of grace and peace Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot do Christianity without Christ. And yet we find it really easy to forget about him. We find it really easy to ignore. We find it really easy to not chase him in his word. In 2022, let's go. Let's chase him. We're going to spend the next weeks in Ephesians. We've talked about what a wonderful story there is behind it. This letter from Paul to this church, I challenge you to really, really dive into it as we start this year, to make it a part of you. Find a part of it that resounds with you and memorize it. May we be a people that are marked by God's grace and marked by peace with each other in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. I feel like I need to be reminded every 10 minutes of what you've done for me and why it should change how I act, how I am with others. Lord, if there are people in this room today that just saw what we did and saw what we celebrated and hear these words about grace and peace and just don't know what I'm talking about, I pray that they would seek one of us out. 
Pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt them to to dive into this book, to dive into this study, to dive into your word and understand that you, through your son, have given a gift of complete, unconditional love and acceptance. Thank you for an opportunity this morning to not forget. Thank you for the fact that we can say we are in him. We are in Jesus. A billion words that we could say wouldn't do justice to our gratitude for your salvation, for your love. May it prompt us in this brand new year to be people of grace and people of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.